This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Sports by Northwest podcast. I'm Bill Oram, sports columnist at the Oregonian Oregon Live. And we have a very special guest this week on the podcast. It is the former number one overall pick of the Portland Trailblazers, big man out of Minnesota, 1978. Uh, maybe you thought I was going to say it was Greg Oden when I started, but it's actually Michael Thompson, um, broadcaster for the Los Angeles Lakers, former broadcaster with the Blazers, and is joining us this week to talk about a variety of topics, but primarily his recollections of the great Bill Shonley. Michael, how are you today? Doing great. Living down here in beautiful Southern California. There's all this sunshine every day. So how could I be how could I be doing anything but great? You know, you're just saying that to 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 get after us. It's you know, we're here we are in month three of of winter. Josh Hart from the Blazers has started tweeting basically like he's uh like sending up uh, you know a signal for help basically he's like does the sun ever come out here there's really nothing to do when it rains and you're just down there living life but um so michael you and i connected at the blazers lakers game on sunday which was its own mess of a game but you know we talked about at that point about um about bill shonley somebody you have known or had known for um 40 years plus going back to your the beginning of your career with the with the Trailblazers in 1978, what made him special in your mind? Yeah, Sean, he was just a, just a good human being, just a nice man. Obviously, he had a passion for what he did, broadcasting for the Lakers and like for the Blazers and being uh, an ambassador for the Blazers on and off the court. But what made Sean so, I mean, because there are a lot of people we've known gone through life who are great at their jobs and legends in their jobs and of course Sean's is one of those guys he was very good at what he did he was he was you guys uh, the Blazers Vin Scully he was the Blazers Chick Hearn he was that type of uh, talent as a broadcaster but uh, what made him special and unique and so such a such a good guy was he was just a nice man so welcoming to everybody he didn't care who you were where you were from wherever you may be as he would always mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. He was always so, whenever you saw him, he was always, you know, just embrace you like you were one of his children. And that's the way he treated everybody. And that's what made him so special. It was just a good person you want to run into and say hello to. So what I find interesting is you knew him personally as opposed to a broadcaster, whereas, you know, myself, I grew up listening to him through the car stereo. A lot of our listeners also know him only as a broadcaster, as a voice, as a as a friend through the radio. 
But what was it like to be on the road with him, see him at games, and really know him as a person first, as opposed to um, somebody bringing you the games? Well, that's what makes it so different. Back in Sean's era when he was in the Bla- voice of the Blazers, it's so much different now because it's not as personable. It's not as intimate as it was back then, 30, 40, 50 years ago. The game is so much more corporate now, so much colder, more benign. Back when Sean's was doing his thing, even until up until the day he retired, it was more of a family atmosphere. But now it's more corporate. It's more distant, cold. doesn't seem as inviting as it used to be when Sean's was in his prime doing calling games. And uh, so when he we were around him, we were around a friend. Yeah, he was our broadcaster. He wasn't our coach. He wasn't our teammate. But he felt like he was one of our teammates, even though he was a broadcaster, even though he didn't wear a uniform. Uh, he felt like he was one of the guys. And you don't get that feeling much anymore in the NBA. Players are kind of separate now. They separate themselves from the rest of the employees because they make so much money and they have so much, so many people around them, entourages, yes men, yes women. So it's not as intimate as it was when Sean's was uh, calling games. When you arrived with the Blazers, it was 1978. Uh, interesting time in Blazers history coming off of uh, a championship a year earlier. Bill Walton wasn't going to ever play for the Blazers again by the time you arrived. But Bill Shonley, I feel like you said he was part of the team at that. But was he already at that point sort of the the face of the team or the you know one of the one of the main pillars of the team? Did people realize what a key figure he was? Oh yeah. The, the Blazers were founded in 1970, of course, and he was the broadcaster from the inception. And by the time I got there, it was 1978. Oh, yeah, he was already as much a face of the team as Bill Walton was mm-hmm. or Jack Ramsey was or uh, Maurice Lucas, any of those guys. Bill Shanley was already as popular as any player at that point and uh, throughout his tenure. No matter, Clyde Drexler came along, Terry Porter and that crew, and, of course, now Damian Lillard. Uh, and and his era came along, but Sean's was, I think, the most popular Blazer ever, even though Blazer fans love their players, uh, but players come and go, but Sean's was the one constant. And so fans always knew him, heard his voice, would see his face, would see his face in commercials, of course. Mm-hmm. So he was the, the face of the organization, even though the players are mostly thought of that way or pr- promoted that way, but Sean Lee was Mr. Blazer. You, um, after your playing career had ended, came back and did some broadcasting with the Blazers. I remember, of course, getting in the car after games and you'd be over at Tony Roma's uh, eating ribs in between bites. You'd be talking about the game. Um, But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was while Sean's was still the play-by-play guy, right? Was that you guys overlapped as being part of the broadcast team together? Yeah, Sean's was uh, heading towards the end of his career. But yeah, Mm -hmm. Sean's was still around doing his thing. What was it like to be? Oh, I apologize. Go ahead. Yeah, it was just. You know, fun being on the, on the broadcast with him. Obviously, I wasn't on par with him, but just being a part of the broadcast crew and uh, doing my little part after he was done signing off off of air just made me proud to be around him and get advice on him and how to handle this this new uh, era of a uh, of a career that I was in. Did you ever do a game with him? No, I never got a chance to do a game okay. with him. Bryce had that honor, but. I never got a chance to. I, would, I wish. I wish I had that on my resume. That's for sure. <laughs> I didn't know if uh, if if the wild one ever had to call in sick, and maybe you got the call. Oh, um, I didn't want to do. He, he, nobody wanted to miss a day working with the Shans. Um, his retirement. 
the Shans' retirement initially um, in 1998 was, you know, I think a real bitter pill for a lot of people, the way that, you know, he didn't seem quite ready to go. The organization was ready to make a change. You know, we're 24 years past that. Obviously, he repaired the relationship, you know, fairly shortly after that, came back to a great career as an ambassador and remaining a face of the team. But when you think back to 1998 and how he left the broadcast, how does that sit with you now these couple of decades later? It was disrespectful. Sean's wasn't ready to retire. He still had his fastball. He still could call a game at the highest level. Um, they didn't let him go out on his own, ter- own terms, the way the Dodgers let Vin Scully go out, uh, the way Chick Hearn was going to go out with the Lakers before he, he died, unfortunately. He was going to retire. He knew it was time to go. Sean's wasn't ready to retire. He still could call the games with the best of them. And I remember during that time, it seemed like the Blazers wanted a younger voice uh, to put in there. And I thought that was a huge mistake. It's very disrespectful. Sean's was still uh, one of the best broadcasters in the game, and they pushed him out the door. Didn't show him any respect at all. Now, they brought him back eventually, but he wasn't ready to retire. He still could perform his job at the highest level. And so I thought uh, they did not treat him with the proper respect that he deserved. One thing the Blazers, you know, we've we've seen, you know, players come back for, you know, Jersey retirements, you know, unfortunately, funerals. Um, when you would see Sean's, what would... Did, was there a way that he would greet you? Oh, yeah. Like I said, he would greet you like uh, like his kids coming home, like a long-lost relatives, relative he hadn't seen for a while. Or, of course, uh, treated you like a, uh, like you were his best friend, always uh, welcomed you with a hug or hearty handshake and a smile on his face. So good, so great to see you. How you doing? He'd ask you how you're doing, how your family's doing. Uh, of course, we talk about the Blazers and we talk about the old times. So uh, whenever I came to the Motor Center, uh, before that, the Rose Garden, um, as I walked in the door, I'd always look to see where the Sean's was, whether it was courtside or back in the media room, Harry Glickman media room. Mm-hmm. I'd always make stop by and say hello to him and want to see him and ask how Dottie was doing and how he's doing and uh, talk about the current state of the Blazers. So that was made a, always made it a point coming into the arena. You got to find Sean's and make sure you say hello. So one thing I wrote last weekend after we uh, learned of his passing was that you know, the Blazers are long overdue on on doing something permanent to honor Sean's. You know, I covered the Lakers for a long time. You're there. The, the Laker thing and the L.A. thing has been statues. Obviously, they have Star Plaza outside of L.A. Live. The Blazers are looking to make some major renovations to the Moda Center over the next decade. Um, is there something that whether it's former players, the fan base, the media, d- should there be a movement of some sort or what could happen, do you think, to sort of nudge the Blazers in the direction of, of something permanent like a statue? And do you think that's the right way to honor Sean's? Oh, definitely. It's time for the Blazers to have their own statue avenue outside of Motor Center. And of course, the people who are qualified to have their statues are there uh, starts with the Sean's. And of course, Bill Walton deserves his. He's the one who led the Lakers, the Blazers to their only championship. Clyde Drexler deserves his, his, his statue. Um, he's a Hall of Famer, of course. Bill Walton's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I would think a guy like Maurice Lucas deserves a statue because he was so revered and helped deliver a championship there. Uh, it's a lot of retired numbers up in the rafters, of course. Uh, Jack Ramsey deserves to st- have a statue out there. And uh, after Jack, then the next Blazer that should have a statue there would, would be Damian Lillard. But uh, it's, it is time for the Blazers to start recognizing their history, appreciating their history, and the people that came before them and uh, to give those legends that kind of proper recognition. But the first statue that should go up definitely should be uh, of Bill Shonley. Do you think the Blazers 
don't do a good enough job of connecting with their history? Oh, yeah, definitely. Guys like, I mean, obviously Terry Porter's still around there, and they've lost some blazers, of course, recently and uh, prematurely, of course. But the guys who are still around, how Clyde Drexler is not a- affiliated with the Blazers in some way. Now, I know Clyde's in Houston and he's got his life down there, but still, Clyde should be bought back, should be o- on staff, on the payroll as an ambassador for the Blazers. Arguably the greatest Blazer ever. Obviously, Damian mm-hmm. Lillard is buying Chanel, but Clyde Drexler should definitely be involved with the franchise in some way, some capacity. Uh, guys like Larry Steele. You know, that's going to be a huge role, but they should be bought back every now and then so Blazer fans can see these guys and recognize them and thank them for their contribution to the franchise in the past. I don't understand why the Blazers don't do that. Every other team around the league seems to do it. Dallas, Mark Cuban does a great job of it in Dallas. The Lakers do a great job of keeping their former players around the organization. Portland's a small market. The Spurs do a great job. Portland's like San Antonio, a very small market. So it's not like they have to compete with a major league team or an NFL team. And so former Blazers should definitely be more prominently uh, uh, um, available and appearing for the Blazers because Blazer fans appreciate and love the history of the franchise. So they got they should keep that connection to the past. And why they don't do it is is very dis- disappointing. So you, uh, I have a couple more about the Shans, and then I want to circle back to a couple of other of other topics. But um, you mentioned wherever you may be early on. Do you have a favorite Shans catchphrase? Of course, he has so many of them. Rip City, of course. Mm-hmm. So good. They put it on, on a jersey. And now Portland's <laughs> the oldest Rip City. Yep. So you got to give him credit for that. And uh, let's see. Oh, and of course, he always used to say, I'll never forget, you ha- you've got to make your free throws. <laughs> and that deep voice, when guys would start making free throws, and it would cost the Blazers a game. So those two come to mind, of course. You know, you talked about at the top uh, about the corporate nature of, of the game now and just how much money is in it. Do you think it's possible for there to be a, a play-by-play man or or woman come to who could come along and have that same connection to a city and a fan base like 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 Chick, like Vin, like uh like like Sean's? Or do you think that that is more of a, a bygone um era and, and sort of relationship? Yeah, I think that's gone now because the, the league has expanded so huge, so much more money in it, which is a good thing. Because the bigger the league, the more people get jobs and employ, employ more people. Yeah, but that intimacy is now gone because I'm around the game now as a broadcaster and the intimacy between broadcasters and players are no longer there. Uh, The players, like I say, are separate now. They keep the players separate from the staff a lot because they've got their side of the hotel or the organization. (laughs) And and so we don't get to go over there as much as it used to be. We all take buses together when we travel. uh, and sit together on planes, so that doesn't happen anymore. So you, uh, you, you, you called Clyde Drexler the greatest trailblazer ever, and there is a, um, there it's is either, a guy you either him or Bill Walton. I know Walton was only there for a short while, but Bill was so great, and he did lead him to a championship, and no other Absolutely. blazers. So for me, it's uh, either Clyde or Bill Walton. But Damian Lillard is making his a strong case to take it over, and Damian's far from finished. He's got a lot of years left, so maybe by the time he retires, lead the Blazers to a championship, which is very possible. Uh, if he does all that, because Damian definitely is going to be in the Hall of Fame, uh, maybe he will retire as the greatest Blazer ever. He has a chance to surpass Walton and Clyde. And he's knock, he's tapping him on the shoulder right now. That was my question because we have seen Damian pass Clyde on the Blazers' all-time scoring list. He's 
I think we can probably say the greatest individual scorer they've ever had, considering he's only 32 and has so much time left. Um, what do you think that they can do to break through? If you think that there's a, a if they, they could win a championship, what are they missing or what kinds of moves do you think would would get them there? And how important is it, do you think, for them to put a winning team around Damian Lillard before it's too late? Oh, it's very important to put a winning team around a talent like him. You saw what he did last night, 60 points. Imagine, and he's got good players with him, Josh Hart and Jeremy Grant. Uh, Anthony Simons is a good, promising young player. So he has nice players around him, but of course he doesn't have the players uh, that could take him to the next level, like maybe the Warriors have had in the past or LeBron James has had. But they're building something nice and solid up there, and they've done that throughout his career. He's been to many playoff series. Do they need one more thing? Of course. If you don't, if you're not a team that is favored to win the championship, every team needs that one more piece. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're going to keep looking to add that piece around Damian through free agency and through uh, savvy drafting. But yeah, they're just they're they're a player or two away. But uh, they are a playoff team, and if Damian can put up sixty points or average in the forties, which he's capable of doing in some series, they can surprise some teams. So put up sixty points last night on twenty nine shots. Um, which I'm going to guess in your playing days would have felt pretty out of reach for for players. And we see it somewhat frequently now. And Clay had one of the most um, efficient and and unbelievable 60-point games when he scored 60 through three quarters and uh, on 11 dribbles, I think it was. What do you think of the evolution of the game now and the fact that it is that you do see 60-point games, that a guy like Damian, I think it was a 90% uh, true shooting percentage last night, um, could you have could you have possibly foreseen this when you were a player? No, because as, even though guys, of course, would score 60 or 70, obviously Will Chamberlain did it mm-hmm. many times. David Thompson did it, David Robinson. But it was much, much rarer back in my day because we only shot 10 threes a game. Now the guys like Damian Lillard shoot eight threes a quarter. And mm-hmm. so the three-point shot has made 60-point games, 70-point games a lot easier to achieve now, to attain now because of the three-point shot. Some guys are taking 23s in the game, 18 threes in the game. And if you get on a hot streak like Damian was last night, he only made nine threes. But he, Damian is capable of making 15 threes. That's mm-hmm. how good a shooter he is, a greater score he is. So uh, 60 point, 70 point games are going to be much more commonplace now because of guys like Damian and Steph and Clay and uh, uh, what's the name? Um, Donovan Mitchell, guys mm-hmm. who can make a bunch of threes, make 60 and 70 point games a lot easier to achieve now. Uh, back in my day, teams teams maybe t- attempted 15 or 18 threes a game. Now mm-hmm. individual players are doing that. So Clay, Clay, you guys lived in Lake Oswego, Portland area until Clay was, I want to say, right before high school. Is that right? Did he yeah, he go through. We moved. We moved. Clay moved to uh, Orange County when he was going into ninth grade. And what was the what was the uh, relationship between you and and the Loves? I mean, Stan also Stan Love, Kevin's father, obviously a former player, a former Laker as well. Um, what was the relationship like between you guys? Because we hear about you know Clay and Kevin, little league teammates, things like that. How well did you know that family? And what were what were those boys like? You know, when they were young. Oh, we were very close to the Loves. You know, they lived in Lake Oswego. We lived there too. So Clay and Clay and. Uh... And uh, Kevin, Michael, they all would uh, play together, hang out together. Uh, obviously, they played little play and Michael and Stan, uh, uh, Kevin played little league baseball together. And so we would go over to their house after games. Kevin Love would come over to our house and have cheeseburgers or pizza after games. So those boys grew up very, very close, very good friends. So they spent a lot of time together 
at the Love's house or the Love's at our house. So uh, that's a very close-knit community in Lake Oswego. When you play youth sports over there, everybody knows each other. So it was a pleasure being around the Love's. It was a great family to be around. What um what would a Lake Oswego high school basketball team with Clay Thompson and Kevin Love have looked like? Well, yeah, if we wouldn't have moved, well, Michael and Clay and Trace, we were going to send them to Jesuit. Uh, that's where they were going to go. Obviously, mm. Lake Oswego High School was there too, but we really wanted to send them to Jesuit. Michael did go to Jesuit as a tenth grader, and then uh, had to move him down to Orange County, which was extremely hard to do to disrupt uh, or displace a kid in high school. You know, because mm. Grew up around those guys. That was his friends from he was a little baby. And so to move them at that age was the hardest thing in my life to do because it's so hard to leave your friends at that age and have to go to, to a new school in a new state and make new friends. It's very awkward and very uncomfortable when you're that age. So I, I, that broke my heart to have to leave Oregon because I got a job with the Lakers. I wanted to stay in Portland, but the Blazers wouldn't hire me to make to ha- allow me to stay up there and, ra- and raise the kids. But you're right. We talk about it a lot. If they would have gone to, to high school together, Michael, Clay, and uh, Kevin Love, man, Lake Oswego would have never lost a game with those three guys. And uh, and uh, maybe even a Seth Tarver, who also <laughs> went yeah. to, he with us a lot. And he was part of the family too. So that would have been, that would have been special if those guys could have played together. But unfortunately, I had to go where the job was. I wish I could have stayed in Portland and worked with the Blazers in some capacity, but uh, they weren't hiring former Blazers at that time. He says he says he looks out his window at Sunny in seventy five. Yeah, I'm done bitter <laughs> about it. I just it was that's life. You know, we see so many second generation players coming into the league now. It's it's so much more common. But you, I mean, you've really done a you you your family has done something really remarkable, which is you have three three sons who all become professional athletes, and that uh, one I think just always needs to be acknowledged when we talk about you and and part of your legacy. Um, but what a, what what kind of gift has that been to you to be able to watch you know Michael Michael play pro basketball Trace play in in Major League Baseball and Clay obviously have the success he has um, you know what what do you think you did right as a parent? Oh, that's a good question. Obviously, I married the right woman <laughs> who's a great athlete and herself and a great mother to the boys. She gave up her business career so she could be a stay home mom and make sure the boys uh, got everything they needed. Because uh, I had to travel a lot for my jobs, so I was gone a lot. But boys, they had a, just a great mother who did everything, drove them to every practice, made sure they got all their uniforms, and signed them up to all the proper uh, sports leagues. So, marry the right woman is the number one advice, and who is going to be a great mother to the kids, a loving and supportive mother. So, got to give her all the credit, and and because we found the and we found the right coaches to put the boys with, and I just stayed out of the way. I didn't have to be a stage father or hands-on father. I just let the the coaches coach the boys because they had the right kind of coaches to teach them the right way to play. And, uh, you know, just, and of course, blessed with having healthy kids. Not everybody has, uh, kids are healthy and have able bodies to go out there and do what our boys or some of our girls can do. So you have to be very thankful that your kids are healthy and uh, can go out and, and pursue all their all their athletic dreams. If you look at um, so Bronny James is is going to be going to college next year, it looks like um, Oregon is on his list. So I had a conversation with LeBron after the game the other night about where Oregon fits into Bronny's sort of potential landing spots. And he said, you know, basically, 
Bronny can go wherever he wants. I just need to pick up the phone and he can, you know, he's good enough to play anywhere, basically. And of course, we've heard LeBron um, talk about wanting to play with Bronny um, before, you know, his career's over. You know, it certainly seems like LeBron's going to be in the league long enough and Bronny seems to be on a trajectory where that's possible. Um, as, as somebody who's raised sons who became professional athletes, do you have any perspective on kind of LeBron's situation and what he is hoping he's able to achieve? And then, um, you know, do you think, was it, there's a lot packed into this, but also, is it hard to watch your son go to need to start making his own decisions, right? Like Bronning's going to decide where he goes to college. That's not a LeBron decision, which LeBron has acknowledged. What is it like kind of watching your young son sort of start making those own life decisions for himself? Yeah, it's very uh, nerve wracking because you want to make the right decisions. You hope that the advice you gave them growing up, they are going to listen to it when they finally come down to making some of the biggest decisions of their lives and remember and the advice is resonating and echoing in their head about what you told them and what to look for, what to avoid, because it is a life uh, changing decision that Bronny's going to have to make. Uh, LeBron's going to leave it up to him. You can't decide for your kids where they're going to go to college because you don't want them to be bitter if it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. That's the choice, his or her choice. Um, at 17, 18 years of age, they're adults. They know what's right and what's wrong. And so you have to leave it up to them and hope they make the right decision. So you just have to stay out of the way and trust that everything you taught them, they're going to remember and consider as they make the biggest, the first biggest decision of their young lives. You know, they're going to make a whole lot more decisions, God willing, if they, they live a long time. Um, so uh, what, Bronny, what LeBron and Bronny's going through right now is an exciting time. And whether it's Ohio State, Oregon, or USC, one of those three choices, they're all three great choices. So wherever he decides to go, um, I'm sure Bronny will be happy with it and it'll be acceptable for LeBron. As a dad, when you hear LeBron say things like, you know, I want to play with my son, um, do you ever, I mean, I, for, as an outsider, I haven't had this experience. I wonder about what kind of pressure that puts on Bronny. And I wonder if that's fair to Bronny. Do you think that that is, that that is, in any way, an unfair sort of pressure to put on a 16, 17, 18 year old kid? Or do we accept that, that, you know, LeBron is such a different sort of being and the way he's raised his kids that, um, that there's an understanding of, of kind of what the expectation is. Well, Bronny's young, 16, 17 years of age, 18, but he's grown up as LeBron's son his whole life. And once he mm -hmm. started basketball, that's all he probably heard. Oh, that's LeBron's kid. He'll mm -hmm. never, or he ain't as good as his dad or you know he, he ain't that good who does he think he is i'm sure he's heard that from envious kids or jealous parents or whatever uh because being compared to his father who arguably is the greatest player ever one of the, at least one of the four greatest players is in the conversation mm -hmm. uh the other three are wilt kareem and of course jordan but uh so lebron Bronny's grown up with the pressure and the scrutiny of being lebron's son so he's used to it by now mm. sure and he has shown that he can handle it. He seems to be a mature young man. And uh, he has a lot of basketball game. And if anything, it looks like he's benefiting from being LeBron's son and watching his father play and watching his father set the example of what it takes to be a great player. I want to ask you a couple things about the draft, and then I'll let you go. Your draft, 1978. The Blazers end up with the number one overall pick. They trade up. They trade Johnny Davis to get the number one pick. And I think 
because you 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 were with the Lakers, uh, you know, as a part of the Showtime era. You know, I've covered the Lake. I did cover the Lakers for a long time, so I've heard a lot of these stories. And one of the things that made the Lakers' dominant run in the '80s so remarkable was the luck they had along the way, where <coughs> you get a coin flip that leads to Magic Johnson because of a trade made a few years earlier. You end up with the number one overall pick in 1980 one and, and draft James Worthy and add him to a championship team. And people are just like, why is it that it's the Lakers that have so much luck? Uh, why didn't that happen elsewhere? And you look at Portland and it kind of did happen in Portland. It just, the luck didn't break the same way where you just won a championship in 1977 with Bill Walton. Bill Walton's the MVP in 1978. You come in as the number one overall pick. Um, but things kind of fractured for a while there. Bill holds out in 1979 and never plays for the Blazers again. Um, how close was that situation or could that situation have been to being a dynasty? I know Bill's body was, you know, was what it was, but when you came in, what kind of situation did you think you were coming into? And then, um, you know, what could that have been if, if maybe things had just gone a little differently? I don't like to bring this up. I hate talking about the 1978 draft because people have sort of forgotten about it. And, uh, and when it was, when it's remembered about the 1978 draft, I always have to go. Oh no, somebody remembered. <laughs> 1978. Yeah, when I got drafted, obviously Bill Walton was still on the team. They had just coming off fresh off of a championship, basically. So I thought I was coming into a championship team. I thought, yeah. Bill, Maurice Lucas, Lionel Hollins, and these guys were going to win multiple rings. I really thought that. Obviously, Walton was hurt. Never got to suit up with him. So it never came to fruition. But think about this. You know who the Lakers passed? You know who the Blazers passed up in 1978 in that draft? I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> I know. I know. I might as well bring it up since you bought it, the stupid draft. Larry Bird. They could have had Larry Bird. Number one now. Obviously, five other teams also passed him up because Larry Bird, I think, went sixth to the Boston Celtics. But the reason why Bird didn't go number one, he had another year of eligibility to play. And he said, I'm going back to college. And for some reason, five other teams, like including the Blazers, didn't want to wait a year for him. Mm -hmm. Like the Spurs did for David Robinson. They, they drafted David Robinson, even knowing that he still had a five-year commitment to the Navy. But the Navy let him out early, so he missed two years before he finally reported to the Spurs. But the Blazers, at the time, didn't have the foresight to say, you know what, Larry Bird, we'll draft you anyway, and we'll just wait a year for you. For some reason, they said, oh, we'll just go with Michael Thompson instead. Instead of waiting for Larry Bird. Now, you redid that draft. Of course, you can draft Bird number one. And imagine if they would have got him. Maybe Walton would have said, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm mad at Portland because of the way they treated my foot injury. But to get a chance to play with Larry Bird, I think I'll go back to Portland <laughs> and play with him. So they could have won multiple rings with those two guys, with a healthy Walton and Larry Bird. Oh, my goodness. Blazers would have won five or six rings with those two guys if they could have stayed healthy. And then after that, think about the other Portland drafts that the Blazers passed upon. Of course, we all know about uh, some guy named Jordan. Mm -hmm. They just had the coin flip. They lost it to the Rockets. The Blazers would have won that coin flip. They were going to draft Hakeem Olajuwon, and you can't blame him for that. Hakeem was definitely worthy of the number one pick. And even as great as he is or was, the Rockets would never get criticized for passing up Jordan to draft him. That just shows you how great Hakeem was. Imagine the Blazers had him. <laughs> that, of course, uh, many years later, the Blazers, which you really can't blame the Blazers because everybody had Greg Oden as the consensus number one pick. Everybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But still, Kevin Durant went number two in that draft. Imagine if 
the Blazers would have thought out of the box and go, you know what, let's go with Durant instead of Odin. Now, Odin, I thought, would have been a good player. He just got hurt. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a 2010 all-star type caliber center and a great defensive center. He just got hurt and couldn't didn't stay healthy, unfortunately. But so the Blazers have had some chances, boy. Imagine the Blazers would have drafted Michael Jordan and had Clyde Drexler too. It would instead of Pippen and Jordan, it would have been Drexler and Jordan. And, and the Blazers would have won those six rings instead of the Bulls. Uh, you know, at least four rings, even though at that time they would have to go on through the, the Showtime Lakers to get to the finals. But imagine that rivalry in mm-hmm. the West of uh, Jordan and Portland and, and Magic and, and LA. Oh my goodness. So Portland has had their chances to really build dynasties there, but they just missed out uh, some some cho- choices in the draft, and uh, I'm wanting to play people to blame for that. Oh, I think you're selling yourself you're selling yourself short a little bit as a player, Michael. Yeah, well, this compared is, this is- to Larry Bird and Michael Thompson, Larry Bird. Yeah, I just got to face reality. That was a big. <laughs> Well, Michael, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, share some share some memories and stories today. Um, it was a pleasure for us, and uh, thank you for joining Sports by Northwest. Oh, yeah. Anytime, buddy. Good to talk to you. I want to thank Michael Thompson for joining Sports by Northwest this week, sharing some incredible memories from his time with the Trailblazers, what could have been for youth sports and in Lake Oswego, prep sports, uh, Lake Oswego, either uh, the Lakers or Jesuit. And especially for his very fond recollections of his time spent around the great Bill Shonley, Blazers play-by-play man who passed away last week at the age of 93. I'm Bill Oram. Thank you for listening to Sports by Northwest. Please check back for future episodes, interviews with people around sports in the state of Oregon. Continue to subscribe, review, and rate the podcast. It really helps us out. Our theme music is by Portland band Haystack Rock. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.